Now, this morning's message is called, there's a, a, a little picture that comes up. You will have seen something similar to this on the TV. God's PPE. <clears throat> and if we look at the next slide, we'll see what God's PPE is. <laughs> it's the whole armor of God. This is our subject this morning. But I want to warn you, the first part of this message, you might get depressed. But the second part, I hope, you might get blessed. So, the doors are locked, you cannot escape. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, familiar passage from the Bible. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and having, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints amen <clears throat> amen the lord bless that part of <clears throat> it was not until about 1880 that it was accepted that germs caused, were the cause of disease. It was accepted in the medical profession, but as late as that. Um, Actually, germs are tiny organisms of living things that can cause disease. Germs are so small and sneaky, they creep into our bodies without being noticed. In fact, germs are so tiny that you need to use a microscope to see them. (laughs) Now, some people don't accept, uh, uh, some people ignore them and often catch infections. Some people are obsessed with them and afraid of them and it's a constant battle they wash their hands they disinfect all surfaces and they have a fear of germs everything they get is down to these little bugs 
what they're breathing in, what they're touching, and their life is hell on earth because they have to keep washing and, and all this kind of thing. <clears throat> now, we too have an enemy that's not seen to the naked eye. His name is Satan and all his followers. Now, some people may ignore the fact that he exists. Some Christians, on the other hand, are obsessed with the fear of him and his army. I remember a, um, a girl I was with in the Bible college, and she was always being attacked by the devil. The devil was always having a go. I felt totally backslidden. I thought, <laughs> Beresford is not worth bothering with. <clears throat> she was always under attack. Well, the best way to keep free of disease is to, is to stay healthy, of course, to stay protected and stop worrying, build up your immune system. <clears throat> now, you need to know your enemy without being obsessed with it. Now, England tonight are going to be playing football. If you hadn't heard, they're going to beat the jolly eye ties. <clears throat> Now, what these football managers do, they study the opposition's tactics, their strong points, so they can combat their weakness and exploit their weaknesses. Now, the scriptures tell us here that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that we may be able to overcome the devil's schemes. Now the devil in the Bible is called by a number of different words of description. He's known as the accuser, the adversary, Apollyon, which is Greek for destroyer, deceiver, enemy. Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies, the prince and power of the air the God of this world, the tempter, the thief, the hinderer. You remember how he lied to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He said, you will not surely die. You won't. Nothing wrong with it. Take this fruit. Nothing wrong with it. You'll be fine. But she wasn't fine. He lied. He lied to her. And the devil will lie to you and me. So I want to look at Satan's plans, his schemes, his arrangements, his systems, his structures, his organization, his plans and intrigues. What are the devil's plans and how do we overcome them? Three things in our culture, in our church, not just this church, but in the church and in your life. How do we recognize the devil's mucky hand? And how do we overcome in the name of Jesus? Now, in our culture, I'm going to read you something now. This will get you depressed. Way back in 1808, see, uh, there was a, 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 a lady born... Her name was Alice Bailey, right? 
Now, let me just read you a little bit about Alice Bailey. Um, she played a great part in influencing Western minds. She was born in 1880, as I've told you. She made a pact with the demonic grandmaster and opened her spirit to guides from the spirit world, including a master from the Tibetan world. She wrote many books claiming she was dictating what the spirit guide said. Her main book is called The Plan. Now, you might ask, what is the plan? To set people free from the restrictions of Christianity so that they can enjoy the liberty of life. The principles of this book have been implemented in the Western world as law. Here are the ten strategies of the plan. Now, this is a demonic plan, right? You got it? Number one, push God out of schools. Now, this is way back in 1880 when most schools were Christian schools. If the people grow up without reference to God, then they will consider God irrelevant to day-to-day life. Number two, break the tradition Judeo-Christian family concept. Break communication between parents and children so that parents can pass, can't pass on spiritual values to their children. Do this by pushing excessive child rights. Number three, remove the restrictions on sex. Sex is the biggest joy and Christianity robs people of this. People must be free to enjoy it without restriction. Not, it's not just for married, it's for everybody. Number four, since sex is the greatest expression of man's enjoyment of life, man must be free to express sex in all its forms, orgies, bestiality, and then desire so long as it doesn't abuse or harm somebody. Number five, must be free to abort unwanted children. Number six, every person develops soul bonds. So the soul bonds wear out. A person must be free to um, divorce and marry somebody else. And if they are married, that's just okay. Number seven, diffuse religious radicalism. Christianity says Jesus is the only way. Diffuse this by, number one, silencing Christianity, promoting other faiths, the creation of interfaith harmony. Number eight, use the media to influence mass opinion. Number nine, debase art in all its forms, corrupt music, painting, poetry, and every expression of the heart to make it obscene, immoral, and occultish. Debase the arts in every way possible. Number ten, Get the church to endorse every one of these nine strategies. Get the churches to accept these principles, to say they're okay. <laughs> then legal ground can be given to put these values into place. Well, that's the devil's strategy for society, in which we, and we can see that way back then, the devil is using these things. He doesn't want the kingdom of Christ to come. But praise God, one glorious day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Hallelujah. And praise God, he shall reign forever and ever. And we shall, praise God, be reigning with him. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the problem. It is the influences behind people. The way we think, 
the way we act, what is pressing upon us. Why, only this week we've seen on TV, haven't we, this uh, young guy that's killed two sisters last year. He made a pact with the devil to kill women in exchange for winning the lottery. Now, where did that thought come from? Where did that thought come from? That thought came right from the pit of hell. Um, Right. So, in the church, what, what is Satan's strategy for the church? Well, he hates the church. <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ, Satan hates it. He doesn't want it to succeed. He wants to destroy it on every possible way. Not just our church. All the churches, all the people of God. He doesn't want people love it, living under the reign and rule of the kingdom of God. He works on a principle of divide and conquer. And I was just reading again this morning uh, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. How he prayed for, for his disciples. How he prayed to the Father to keep them. How he said that he had loved them. And now he was protecting them. He had protected them and he was now putting them into the protection of, 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 of his father and how he loved the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. <clears throat> and of course, Jesus said of his church, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. What was the way that everybody would know that we are people of God? It's not rocket science. If we have love one for another. That's what he said. Isn't that what he said? If we have love one for another, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. And of course, in the great uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. Unity is a wonderful thing. In God's sight. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters would just add that to keep in touch with modern thinking. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Like the precious ointment upon the head that runs down to the beard, even Aaron's beard, down to the skirts of his garment. It is as if the Jew of Hermon, now Mount Hermon is in the north and it's always covered in snow, It is as if the dew from Mount Hermon were falling on the mountains of Zion. Zion uh, can can be quite arid in places. It is the refreshing and the blessing. He says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. When God's people are in unity with each other, the Holy Ghost comes and God commands the blessing. (laughs) Hallelujah. How many of you were parents? like to see your children playing peaceably together. How many of you like that? I remember listening to a couple of my grandchildren talking to each other in the back, in the back seat. A couple of Esther's kids. She's got 105 children. <coughs> <coughs> well, we told her what's causing it, so... <coughs> she's not having any more. But they were talking to each other in the back, getting on so well together. 
And I thought, oh, that's really nice. When your children are squabbling, how do you feel? Oh, for goodness sake, get on together. (laughs) I think God must feel the same way. Um, Paul said... um, about he wrote to the Corinthians, and uh, there was a there was a there was a case of gross immorality in the Corinthian church. You read about it in the Bible. There, what had happened? Without going into too much detail, <clears throat> this guy had slept with one of his father's wives, right? And and Paul said, "Listen, this is a serious thing. The unbelievers are watching, and all that. Put this guy out of the church. We don't we don't want that behaviour in church." Later on, after this guy had repented, Paul said, bring him back in. This is how he wrote it. I wrote to you, uh, as I did, to test you and to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outwit us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. (laughs) We're restoring this brother. He's made a mess of things. He's blotted his copybook, but he's repented. So we bring him back now, because we don't want Satan to outwit us. Jesus told a parable of a farmer sowed good seed in his, his field and then at night his enemy came along and he sowed tares among the wheat and when they wrote, got it up in the morning there were the tares going up oh, what shall we do and, and the Lord said an enemy has done this he said he sows tares sowing discord among brothers and sisters in the book of Proverbs is one of the six deadly things God hates. God hates sowing discord among brothers. And sometimes it can be with misrepresentation. We can get the wrong end of the stick. I nearly did it once myself. There's a story in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, there were two and a half tribes that didn't want to go over the Jordan, they wanted to stay on this side, on the eastern side of the Jordan. There were um, Reuben, Dan, and half the tribe of Manasseh, right? So after they had conquered the land, the soldiers went back to the other side of the Jordan to settle there. And they built a great big altar, an impressive altar right by the River Jordan. Well, when the main group, the main tribes, heard about this, they thought, our brothers have departed from the Lord. They have so quickly deserted Jehovah, our God. They are not coming to worship here with with the people of God. They have built a rebellious altar. Get your swords, get your... I was going to say guns, but they hadn't been invented yet. Get your weapons. We're going to wage war with these people. They're our brothers, but we're going to wage war with them. So they 
they, first of all, they sent off the high priest, Phineas, and he went to see them. Now, what is this we're hearing? He said, Phineas, you built a rebellious altar to serve other gods. And then they said, Phineas, no, that's not right. We haven't done that. We have built this altar because we think that in time to come, our children and your children, they will say, there's only us can worship the Lord. And we have built this altar to remind our people that we serve the Lord as well. It is simply a witness. It's not to offer sacrifices. It's not to be in rebellion or anything like that. It's to be a witness. And when they heard that, peace ensued. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, it saves you going to war, doesn't it? When you know it's sometimes, well, Satan sometimes uses misunderstandings. <clears throat> Can Christians frustrate the work of God? My father used to tell the story of a revival. And, and there were thousands getting saved. It was a wonderful move of God and people were getting saved and blessed and all. And then a question arose about baptism. Whether it's by total immersion or pouring water on the head and and then they got so heated about this question of water baptism, they were at one another's throats about this thing. And the revival subsided. The revival subsided until some wise people said, look, we are majoring here on a doctrine that's not quite as central to the Christian life as we think. And they found a place of peace among themselves. And hallelujah, the revival fire started burning again. Because the people were now in unity. <clears throat> Can Christians frustrate or discourage? I remember there was a sister here um, <clears throat> from Macclesfield. When we lived in Macclesfield, we uh, uh, were arranging a big tent mission. I think I might have told you about it before. We were arranging for the tent to be in one area of the town, and then the week after, we'd have the tent in another area of the town, and then the third week would be in the church. And I had the job, we had to give out 35,000 leaflets twice, so 70,000 leaflets. I, I was measured for a suit. In those days, you could get measured for suits. I was measured for a suit at Burton's. When it came, it was about Three sizes too big. I'd slim that much pushing these jolly leaflets through. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> and, and one of my jobs was to put the signs, signs up um, pointing to the direction of the tent and the second week to point them to the direction of the other side. Of course, I forgot one or two and people were going around the town... <laughs> Just before the crusade, we'd done all this organizing, all this praying, all this working, spent all the money. We had a treasurer <clears throat> called Gerald, nice guy, and he had what he called a little extra fund. He used to put a little squirrel, a bit of money away all the time. He said, we spent all the money, he said, Pastor. Even the little extra fund's gone. <clears throat> that was the pits. Well, I went to see this this guy, he was, he was one of the trustees. 
And he said to me just before this crusade, Pastor, he said, we've done all this before. We've had tent missions before. Nothing ever comes of them. I thought, goodness me, we spent all this money. We've been walking and walking. And now, when I left him, my heart was in my boots. But praise God, we saw lots of people saved and come to Christ. <laughs> Amen. Be an encourager. Now, where am I up to? We're, not, we're, nearly, at the, we're nearly lifting the depression in a minute. <clears throat> We should upsell one another. When I first went to uh, preach in, in, in New York uh, at the Rock Church there, I used to go for a month at a time and preached about six times a week for a month. And uh, it was a great church. Oh, the joy, brother. It was a, it, and, and, uh, but they used to call us all evangelists. And they said, our wonderful evangelist from England. It's going to minister the word of God. How wonderful. And, and not only, but when the soloists came up, our wonderful soloists are going to minister in song. Then they had a big choir. Our wonderful choir is going to sing for us. In fact, it was very difficult to find somebody in that church who was not wonderful. <laughs> they were all wonderful. <laughs> After about six weeks, of being told you're wonderful, you think, is it me they're talking about? <laughs> Hallelujah. We should upsell one another. Speak well of one another. Put a good construction on one another. Because the devil does the opposite. We are not ignorant. I'll read you the verse. It says, We're not ignorant of his devices. But sometimes I think Christians are ignorant of the devices of Satan. Now, finally, oh, not nearly finally. <laughs> Satan's strategy for your life. What is his schemes for you? He plants thoughts in your mind. I'll read you a little verse from Chronicles. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David, the king, to number the people. Now David thought, I'm the king. I have a big army. I wonder how big it is. Let's count every soldier. We'll, 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 I'll send round the captain of the, the, the army, Joab. He'll go round and he'll count all our soldiers. Joab said, David, don't do this. Because God makes his people ten times stronger than they are. Numbers don't matter to him. He makes them all strong. Why do you number the people? It's, it's wrong, David. It's wrong. Now, David thought that it was his thought of numbering the people, but it wasn't. It was a, a, it was a plant of the enemy. A, a thought that had come in his head, sent from the pit of hell... And that cost David a lot, and a lot of people died. Now, Satan plants thoughts in people's minds. Suicidal thoughts that you're unaware of. Thoughts of accusation. You are no good. You are useless. 
Nobody likes you in this church. You don't fit in. People are talking about you. Everyone is a better Christian than you are. Your self-talk. Watch where it's coming from. (laughs) Because it's not coming from the Spirit of the Lord, if it's things like that. And then the devil uses guilt. How many of you know he likes to exhume the body of things that are in your past that have long gone under the blood of Jesus, dead and buried, cleansed, restored, forgiven. Satan gets his shovel and digs him up. He exhumes the body. And then fear. Satan uses fear. False expectation appearing real. (laughs) In that wonderful book, The Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, who spent about nine or 11 years in Bedford Jail for his faith in Christ. Pilgrim is going up with his, his companion, I think it was hopeful, and they're going up the hill difficulty. How many of you have had been up a hill difficulty in your walk with Jesus? Things have, you know, just not been smooth sailing. You ha- things have been a bit difficult. And you're getting to the top of the hill difficulty, and what happened was two men came running back. They said, don't go any further. It's too dangerous. Too dangerous. There are lions on the road. Well, they looked at one another, but proceeded with caution. They heard the lions roaring, but when they got near, they discovered that they were chained, and they couldn't harm them anyway. Satan uses fear. A lady said to me when we were in peace, and she said, you know, whenever my husband gets more involved in the church, the devil comes and takes his health away. Fear. Fear. Satan uses fear. Nehemiah said, when they tried to uh, get him to flee, he said, should, should such a man as I flee? He said, I perceive that the Lord had not sent him. <clears throat> then the enemy uses unbelief. Take the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of unbelief that we see prevalent these days. Discouragement. Nehemiah said, the bearer of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish. People were getting a bit discouraged. And then in the book of Malachi, they said, it is vain to serve God. What do I get out of it? Well, praise God, we get everything out of it. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Hallelujah. The Christian, you are a believer. You have authority in Christ over all the power of the enemy. And so it says in our text, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Some people who were strong, Joshua was told to be strong. He said, be strong and of a good courage. Strength is linked to the word of God. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a word is that? Be strong and courageous, for God is with you. When, when old John Wester was dying, that great old saint of God, he said, his dying words, and best of all, God is with us. Hallelujah. God is with us. Says of Abraham, he was strong in faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He's a hundred years old, right? His wife is 90. God said, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a baby. That might be a word of faith for somebody here. <laughs> She's 90. She's 90. I think I would have said, why bother? <laughs> Abraham believed. He believed it was possible that someone who was past the age of childbearing could bear a child. He believed it was possible. And when that child was born, Isaac, God said, offer him on one of the, the, the mountains I'll tell you of. And he took Isaac up Mount Moriah and he bound him and he put him on the altar. And, and God, he, he raised his knife to kill his son. Now God had promised Abraham. He said look at the stars Abraham. Your kiddies are going to be as numerous as that. Go to the beach. Have a look at all the grains of sand. Your children are going to be as numerous as that. And they're going to be through Isaac. So this is the logic of Abraham. As he's raising his knife to kill his son. He's believing that God would raise him from the dead. He was going to do it. And as he raised his hand. The Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch the lad. Don't do him any harm. For now I know that you fear God. And then it seemed all heaven was just pouring out. Bless. He said, blessing, I will bless you. Multiply and I will multiply your children. Your, your seed will inherit everything. Abraham was strong in faith. He believed God through the bad times. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You, my son, be strong in the grace. And then John writing to the young men in his epistle, he said, I've written to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the wicked one. Now, weak people need to hear. You might say, well, I'm, I'm a bit on the weak side. And this is what Joel says. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. Confess it. Fearful people, you might be a bit fearful this morning. And this is what it says to those in Isaiah 35. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. So we come back to our verses here in the Bible. Take the full armor of God. Our soldier that we saw earlier. Take the full armor of God. Be strong. Everything that the Christian wears in one sense is for defense except one. And that's the sword. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we defeat the enemy. It is written. 
Was it Reinhard Bonnke used to say, when, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. <laughs> they overcame by the word of God. I'm going to conclude by reading you a passage from Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted like sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He went on to say, I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. How can you be, how can you be more than a conqueror? I might have mentioned this before. But the heavyweight boxer, he gets in the ring. You've got 15 rounds to go. They're thumping one another. He's got bulging eyes. He's been hit and thumped and dumped. 15 rounds, he either wins on a knockout or it's on points. But he is the victor. He's been through 15 grueling rounds with a great big guy. I watched the boxing match of when Muhammad Ali was around and Joe Foreman, they said he could put his fist through a door and they, and they put him up against Ali. I thought they're gonna, he's going to die and the ring is Ali. <clears throat> so this guy wins. He's the victor. Now he has a little wife and she's in the hotel room. She's had a shower. She's done her hair. She's done a, filed her nails. And uh, she's watched a bit of TV. He comes in. He's got a band, bandana on his head and dark glasses. Hello, darling. <laughs> Come in, sweetheart. How did you get on at work? <laughs> I won. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you bring the check with you? Oh, yes, dear. Yeah, just a minute. Well, five million is not what it used to be. <clears throat> Thank you so much. He is a conqueror. But she is more than a conqueror. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> she done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we are more than conquerors our champion he went to the cruel cross he took on all the hordes of hell 
Everything was hurled at him. And he conquered. And he rose victorious. Never to die again. Hallelujah. And he's alive today. And I'm in Christ. And you're in Christ. And in him we are more than conquerors. Praise God. Bless the Lord. So come on. Put on the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of his wonderful righteousness. You know, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. The belt of truth. Put it on. Put everything on. Put ye, another verse would encapsulate all of this uh, where he says in another place, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Hallelujah. Walk in him. Live in him. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And this, in Romans it says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Praise God. The devil in Revelation said, devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the prophet, false prophet are. Hallelujah. Paul said, we're not ignorant of his devices, but sometimes I think Christians are. Let's watch what we listen to. Let's watch what we pass on. Let's walk in the spirit. Let's live in the spirit. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's walk and live like men and women of God. God loves unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together. Doesn't mean we all ready. We don't agree with everything. That doesn't mean that, but it means we're all together. <laughs> Hallelujah. They dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that runs down the beard, even Aaron's beard, down to the skirts of his garment. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord 